Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for turning those lights on, Andrew. Turning your Bible to 2 Timothy, if you would. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one in the seat pocket in front of you, underneath. And uh, if you don't know where 2 Timothy is, that's totally okay. Look in the table of contents. It's in the New Testament. Middle. There-ish. So, as we begin, do you remember the, the movie... Uh, what was that movie? The first Avenger, um, Captain America. That's it. You remember Captain America when Steve Rogers was still this tiny little guy and he gets in a fight in an alley with this bigger guy and he just keeps punching him down. He hits the ground and he gets up. He's like, I could do this all day. And the guy says, don't you know when to stay down? You ever feel like that's you in life? <laughs> that you come to church and you see this really cool illustration with the balance beam and how we're supposed to live boldly for Jesus in faith and not fear. And then you walk out into life and it feels like you get hit by a truck with life. You know, it's exciting in here. And then you go out there and there's financial problems and there's problems with your kids and there's things like cancer. And then there's things like sin back. You know, you, you leave here going, I'm going to live for Christ. It's going to be awesome. And you go out there and you go, oh, I just stumbled into that same sin again. And you just kind of feel like you're getting beat up over and over. Another picture, when I was in high school, I played football kind of. I was on the team. Um, and I remember one of, before one of our games, for the pep talk, if you ever played football, that's the best time, the pep talk in the locker room before. And we all were there ready for this pep talk, and the coach wheeled in a TV, and he put on the first or one of the battle scenes from Braveheart if you remember that, where they just charge each other, run at full speed with their kilts hiked up and their sword, and they clash in the middle, and that was the whole pep talk. And we, we leave there going, yeah, and we go up to the football field, and we get up there, kickoff, and it's like, oh, these guys are big. <laughs> you know, and, and my job was just to run down and hit somebody, and I was supposed to pick them out, and I'm like, who's the smallest guy I can, you know? And then, you know, it's fun in the room, and exciting, and then you get out there, and you start running down the field, and you have a decision to make. Like, am I going to hit this guy? Or am I going to, like, just dive at his legs and try and slow him down? You see that all the time in football. We're going to see it probably today with the running back has to block that linebacker coming through. And they'll try and, you know, just, uh, or they'll lay a good block and hit. It's like that in life. Again, we're excited in here. And then we go out there, and life happens. And maybe you're going on, and you're like, Pastor Derek has no idea. He says these great things Sunday. He doesn't know what it's like to live out here. Well, I do. And I think a lot of times we go out there and it's like stepping up to make that block. And are you going to live for Christ every day or are you going to shed the block just a little bit? Are you going to let it pass? You go to share your faith and somebody goes, oh, you're, you're a Christian? Do you actually believe what the Bible, you believe Jesus is the only way? You're so intolerant. Oh, well, you know, there it is. Are you going to take that hit? Or, oh, brush it off. Well, that's just what I believe. You go out and, you know, maybe you hear about giving financially or, or sharing with others, and then you look at your, your own budget and you're like, eh, maybe that's for other people, but, but not for me. Living life for Christ can be hard. And that's what I want to talk about today. And we're going to look at that in 2 Timothy 1. Because if we're going to live for Jesus, and this is our third week in the series, Building a Life Worth Living, if we're going to build a life worth living, it's going to be hard, and we need to know how to do it while it's hard. We'll have those mountaintop times where you look around, and you're like, man, life is just good. Everybody's healthy, really connecting with Jesus on a daily basis, and, and all, but maybe you've experienced that. It doesn't last long, it seems like. You, you go through a valley, or, or something happens. So turn with me to 2 Timothy. 
chapter 1. We're going to be answering this question. How do you build a life worth living when it feels like everything is against you? How do you build a life worth living when it feels like everything is against you? Now, here's the context real quick. Paul is writing to, well, you guessed it, Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. Paul is an old man at this point. Paul is in prison in Rome. This is decades after Jesus rose from the dead. So the church has been going. So now Paul is writing, this is the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a third generation Christian. This guy had not seen Jesus. He was probably born after Jesus died and rose again. So we can relate to Timothy a little bit. We've, we haven't seen the risen Jesus. And he heard it from his mom, and he heard it from his grandma. I don't know where his dad was in the mix, but, but he heard it from them, and they passed it on. And now he has taken on responsibility to pastor a church. Paul is writing to him. And the situation is Timothy has become kind of a, how do you say it politically correct? He's kind of a wussy. He, he, uh, he's, he's becoming timid. He's received some flack from the culture and some flack from within the church. By the way, that can happen. And so he's starting to get that. And so he's going, oh, this is hard. And so he's starting to shed those blocks a little bit and become timid. You know, he's, he's sharing his faith. And then people are like, do you really believe Jesus is the only way? That's intolerant. And so he's, he starts backing off. And so Paul is going to say, hey, stop being ashamed of Jesus. Step up. Step up. Paul is going to talk about how to suffer, how to live this life when it's not going all right. And Paul knows what he's talking about. Don't turn there because I'm going to turn there. But in 1 Corinthians, uh, we see Paul talking about how he suffered for Christ. Hold on, where is that? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul talks about his own suffering. So the reason I read this is he knows what he's talking about. We can listen to this guy. He says this. Are there other servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. By the way, that time when he was stoned, he might have actually died because they drug him outside the, the, the city and left him for dead. And he gets up and is like, okay. And then he goes to the next town. He was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak, and I'm not weak? Who is made to fail, and I'm not indignant? This is the guy who's writing to a guy kind of backing down and going, what do you, I, I know what this is like. I can tell you how to live life when it's not easy. And so here's how he begins. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. 
As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Here's here's how he begins. He's about to correct Timothy and go, "You, you haven't been doing it quite right. You need to buck up a little bit. But this is where he starts. And I think this is important. Because he begins with a little bit of an encouragement to Timothy. Hey, I, I'm praying for you. Your faith is an encouragement to me. And he says in verse uh, 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul is confident Timothy's faith is sincere. You know, last week we talked about living for Christ and walking in faith with him. And there's a lot within the church who might look the part, but aren't actually followers of Jesus. And so here he, he begins with saying, your faith is sincere. That's why I'm going to tell you the things I'm going to tell you. This might sting a little bit, but because your faith is real and you've started to live this out. I mean, you've taken on the pastor role at a church, so you're, you're attempting to live it out. I believe in you. Now I'm going to say some hard things. So for you, if life is hard, life is beating you down, you feel like it's beating you up, this whole living for Jesus, here's step one. Check that your foundation is truly in Jesus Christ. That was what we talked about previously in this building a life worth living, that we build it on Jesus alone. There's no foundation other than Jesus. You can't build it on church. You can't build it on religion. You can't build it on your your career. It's built on Jesus alone. And so it is fair at times, if life is going rough and you're just doubting and you're struggling, check that foundation. Am I really resting on Jesus right now? And I think that's why Paul starts there. Timothy, your faith is good, it's right, it's in Jesus, and now let's, let's build on that. So he moves on, look at verse 6. For this reason, the reason being his faith is sure, for this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The key to what Paul is saying we see in verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do not be ashamed. That's written in a tense in the Greek called aorist, which means stop doing this. You're doing this. You need to stop. So it's not just don't be ashamed, but stop being ashamed. Paul is in prison in Rome. And by the way, he's not going to get out of prison. Most likely after this, he was beheaded. And so he's writing, he's hearing these stories, and he's writing saying, I hear that you're being ashamed of Jesus. Stop being ashamed. Think about our society. If you go out and you boldly proclaim that Jesus is the way to salvation and you agree with biblical morality, what's this world going to think of you? What's this world going to say to you? And, and we can either take that hit or we can, we can back down. We, we can sideswipe. And the American church and many denominations have been doing that for decades. The culture says this, and the culture is now telling the church, you're behind the times. You can't stand on biblical morality anymore. Get with the times. Accept everybody. Don't talk about sin anymore. And so many churches are going, well, we want people to come, so okay. <laughs> We'll go that way. And here's, here's a big way that they've gotten around Scripture. Is there's been, this has been going on for decades. There's a way of reading 
that you can adopt the belief that the reader is the one that gets to interpret the truth. So if I write something and I give it to you, you can read it and go, oh, this is what it means, regardless of what I meant when I wrote it. Well, the truth is that something can't mean other than what the author intended when they wrote it. You can't make up another meaning. I mean, this is a big debate, even in our country right now, looking at the Constitution. There's a whole group that says, we get, it's a living document. We get to define what it says. You, these, it says these words, but we get to change that now to mean something different. That's, it's way worse with the Scripture. So for us, we can change or we can step in there. And that's what Timothy had been doing. He had been adjusting. You know what? I'm going to dumb it down just a little bit. I'm going to make it more palatable so my church doesn't shrink. He says, stop being ashamed. Do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. You know, the idea of sin is not really one people want to hear about. You know, I, I, I'm not a fan of, you know, putting on the sandwich board and walking down the street, you know, repent, <laughs> repent of your sin or whatever, you're all sin. I mean, that's not the way. But to understand the gospel, it starts with sin, doesn't it? I mean, how do you need a savior if you're not in need of a savior? And, and our condition is sin. And so to talk to people about sin is not politically correct. They don't want to hear it. And so that's the idea of being ashamed. Oh, people aren't going to take this well, so I'm going to say it differently, or I'm not going to say it at all. We Christians are looked at as narrow-minded, simple, ignorant, even unloving, and that can be embarrassing, and that's what he's saying. If we're ashamed of it, we're embarrassed by it, and we adjust, he says, that's not the way God has for us. So, rather than being ashamed, what do you do? Go back to verse 6. So, your faith is sure. Your faith is built on Jesus, and for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame the gift of God. What he's talking about is every Christian, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you are saved. Uh, you are made new. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. This is what we celebrate in baptism with that, which is called regeneration, you're on from dead to alive, with that you're given a gift, a supernatural ability to do something for Jesus and for his church, something. It could be teaching, it could be, uh, it could be you know, teaching the kids, it could be service. There's really kind of two big categories, there's speaking gifts, and then there's service gifts, and they can take a myriad of, of roles and, and, and activities in the church and outside the church. And so he says, you've received a gift, fan it into flame. Fan into flame the gift that is within you. Here's that picture. We don't know what the gift is. And I think Paul didn't include it because he wrote this to Timothy, but we have it in our Bibles now. The Holy Spirit knew that. So he wrote this for all of us. Timothy's gift, he, he probably had the gift of evangelism. He probably had the gift of teaching. And so it was one of those where he was you know, backing off from what God had called him to do a little bit. And what happens when you have a fire and you take a coal and you remove it from the fire? It cools off. And he says, you've got this spark of the Holy Spirit in you and something he wants you to do, fan it into flame. Take that spark, add some paper to it, blow on it, add some logs and get that into a roaring fire. Here's, here's the point. Don't stop serving in the church. Don't stop serving. When life is tough, when we're getting beat down, you know, we hear and we go out, one of the first things people do often is they back away from community. They back away from the church. 
They back away from, from fulfilling their role within it. And what happens then is it's like that coal. It just gets colder and colder and colder. And so what he's saying is fan into flame this, this spark that God has put in you. Uh, General Booth, who began the Salvation Army, he wrote this. He said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. I think that's good. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. And here's the thing. As your faith starts to grow cold at times, when you get back in, you know, you, you get into service, you get into community, you get into group, you get into ministry, living for God, there's something that happens to that spark. It kind of flames up. You know, when you rub with others that are starting to burn for Christ, it, it burns brighter and brighter. I got to tell you, you know, for me, uh, if you know me very well, you know, I'm really not a pastor. I mean, you think of like the pastor, you know, the, here's the American pastor. I don't fit that box. And because of that, I think I avoided my, I hear whispering. <laughs> yeah, he's totally right. Um, but I, I avoided my calling a little bit because there's kind of this picture of this is what a pastor should be. And I look at that and I go, well, I'm not that. But I'll tell you, when I accepted my call and went, okay, yes, I'll say yes to you, Jesus, you know, and I have gifts of, of leading and teaching, the more I do it, the more the fire grows hotter and hotter. I, I mean, you would think three years into planting a church and doing this, that it's like, oh, now, you know, we can chill out a little bit, but it just keeps burning hotter and hotter and hotter. That's what happens in whatever it is that God has for you to do. So don't back out. Don't slow down. Get in, serve. And if you haven't begun serving, well, this is a good place to start. You need to start serving. Maybe you've been a Christian for decades, but you've really never gotten involved in community or serving, and you wonder why your spark is still just a spark. You wonder maybe why things aren't different in your life. Step in, serve. Uh, it's, it's easy. In your uh, bulletin there, you can you know, ask about serving. Put out your information, and we'll contact you, and you might just put on there, I should serve, but I don't know how. And we'll talk to you and help you and put you with the kids probably to begin with. Um, by the way, actually, serving the kids, that's probably one of the most important things that happens here every Sunday. You know, a lot of times you think that the kids is just childcare. It's not. Uh, that is a place where kids are learning about Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, and we need people that love Jesus over there bringing them along. So anyway, a little plug there. Look back. Verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We began this series looking at, at the idea of living on faith and not fear. And how many of our decisions do we make based on what we're afraid of? We're afraid financially what's going to happen. We're afraid what people are going to think of us. We're afraid of these things rather than faith is God wants to do this. We're going to go that way, live on faith, not fear. And here, Paul is reminding Timothy who he is in the Spirit. Last week, we talked about our identity. And over and over, we talked about here's who we are in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. Timothy, you are in Christ. And because you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He gives us a spirit, not of fear, not of timidity, but of power, of love and self-control. So there's step three. Life is going tough, you know, and you're trying to live for Christ. Number three, remember that the Holy Spirit is in you to make you powerful, loving, and self-controlled. Powerful. 
in Acts 1-8, right before Jesus ascended into heaven and he told his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be filled with power to be my witnesses. That was what the power is for, just so you know. The power is in you to be a witness. We're not all evangelists. We're not all pastors. This would be a horrible place if we all were. But we are all called to be a witness. And so that power is in us to be a witness. A witness basically just points to Jesus. A witness is somebody that just tells what they've seen. And if Jesus has impacted your life, you have a message. God has done something for you. All you got to do is say, here's what God did for me. And he can do it for you. And then you need to know the story. Uh, we, we have little pamphlets on the back table and they're free. Uh, the story, the gospel, it starts with sin. God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. He rose from the dead. And now if we believe in him, we have life. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is coming back. So we, we need to know part of that story to be a witness. But he gives us a spirit of power, of boldness, not of timidity. But he includes something else. And I like that Paul does this. He gave us a, a spirit of power and love. And love. How many Christians have really done, done negative things for the name of Jesus by spewing great biblical truth without love? You know, there can be those, there's two extremes. We can be all love and no truth, and that's not loving because we need the truth of Scripture. Or we can go so far to truth that you just need truth, you need to do what God says, and we start to even try and legislate morality and, oh, you should live God's way and, and obey all these rules, when really, they just need Jesus, and he'll, he'll change them. And so there's this balance of love and of truth. If you're going to go speak, which you should, it's always with love. I remember when our son, um, who's old now, 20, 20, he's 20. I remember when he was in, early in high school, he would come home and he would talk about a debate he had about uh, evolution and creation with so-and-so. I said, oh, so did you win the person or did you win the argument? Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you, did you just want to prove them you were right or did you want them to connect with Jesus? Oh, good question. It, and, but that's it. Do we want to just win? Do we want to just be right? Or does our heart beat to see others find life in Jesus? That impacts how we speak, how we communicate. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here. Live boldly, fan into flame your gift, but do it with love. Do it with love. People need Jesus. And then he finishes it with self-control. Self-control, or other translations say self-discipline. I think this is really the idea that let your life line up with what you claim to believe. You claim to believe this. Well, James wrote, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Let your life line up. And the idea of self-control isn't, isn't just self-discipline, but it's really God control. It's that the Holy Spirit's in control of me, not me, which means you're not controlled by emotions. Typically, if you're like me, if you have an emotional response to something, isn't that normally wrong? It's really normally not godly. An emotional response is often a selfish one. And so that's here. Don't just respond in emotion. Maybe your emotion quickly goes to anger uh, or, or jealousy or, or, you know, get down on yourself. You know, I'm not worth anything. 
this idea of self-control is that we're controlled by how God thinks, what God wants to do, not by our emotions. And then he moves on. He says, therefore, in verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is number four on there. Do not be ashamed of Jesus, that he is the only way or of biblical morality. Again, this is huge for us in America right now. By the way, if you're not watching the news or paying attention, it's getting less and less popular to really be a biblical Christian. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, but uh, Mike Pence, who is our vice president, his wife took a job at a Christian school part-time teaching art, and the media is just destroying her. You know, how could somebody in our leadership actually work at a school that agrees with biblical morality? Because that school requires its teachers to abide by scriptural morality, mainly sexuality. They say, you know, no, she shouldn't take that job and he can't be vice president because she stands on this ignorant, selfish belief. I mean, the, the media is going crazy. That's the world we live in right now. So if we are going to stand on it, we're going to hear it. We're going to get it. You know, and we, we don't want to lash back because, again, we do it in love. But here, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. And he goes on in that verse. Don't be ashamed, but be willing to suffer. Be willing to suffer. He says in the second half of verse 8, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I think that's valuable. It's not just, you know, go out there and grit and bear it. But, but by the power of God, the Holy Spirit in you will give you the power to endure suffering. But if anybody ever told you that being a Christian is easy and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and all this stuff is going to go great, well, that was a lie. Because the truth is there is an enemy. His name is Satan, and he wants to destroy us. He's going to come after us. The truth is your flesh, which you still live in this body, it's actually still bent against God. Now, we are, we are being changed because of the Holy Spirit in us, but I still had this bent away from God. It kind of stinks, but that's going to keep drawing us away. And then the world is the other one, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world says this way, here's God's way. We're going to go the opposite. We might make it look good, but it's the opposite. So be willing to endure hardship and suffering while following Jesus. I think he includes this, and I think it's helpful for us. Don't be surprised. And that's written elsewhere. Paul writes that elsewhere. Don't be surprised by the fiery trials that come among you as if it's strange. Expect it. If you expect life to be difficult, then you're going to prepare to go through it with Jesus and be willing to suffer. But I like that Paul doesn't just end it there. If he ended it there, it would be like, hey, it's going to be really hard. Stop being a wussy. Go get him. <laughs> he continues. Look at verse 9. Now he's going to talk about God. He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul finishes by pointing back to God. We're talking about this, but guess what? Let's go back to the foundation. It's all because of what Jesus did for us. Paul seems to think Jesus is worth it. I tend to agree. Living for Jesus is hard. We might suffer. In fact, we will suffer. We will suffer persecution. We will probably suffer financial problems and issues, all kinds of things. But Jesus is worth it. And he goes back, what did Jesus do for us? God took on flesh, became a man. Jesus went to the cross, suffered a cruel, cruel death. When he died, he took the sins of the world on his shoulders, not just yours, but mine too, and his and hers and theirs, everybody's. And because of that, and he rose from the dead victorious, that earned us life. That's what he's talking about. That now we have life because of Jesus. He abolished death. He brought to life immortality. Jesus is worth it. We always got to go back to that. Jesus is worth it. We keep our eye on the prize. We keep our eye on the end. And Paul, he finishes that he believes, look at verse 12. He says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, that's in Jesus, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is living on faith, not fear. He's trusting Jesus with what? He doesn't say. He says he's guarding what has been entrusted to me. Locke writes it this way. He does not define or limit. This will include his teaching, his apostolic work, his converts, his life, which has been already in God's keeping and which will remain safe there through, even through death. So really, he's entrusted everything. That's the point. Everything is entrusted to Jesus. So for us, your life, you trust that to Jesus. Even if you lose it, you entrust it to Jesus. Because guess what happens when we die? We get to be with him. As Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What do we entrust our other relationships? Are you married? You got to entrust your spouse to him. You have kids? Whew. You got to entrust them to him. Are you involved in ministry and serving? Guess what? It's hard. People will fail you. People will betray you. But you entrust all of that to him. Why? Until that day. It's going to work out in the end. That's what Paul's saying. Because Jesus is coming back. That's this day that he's talking about. And when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be made right. When Jesus comes back, we get new bodies. Awesome. <laughs> we get bodies that aren't bent towards sin. New bodies. All sin is done away with. All is forgiven. All is made perfect. Go back to the garden when they were naked and not ashamed and they were hanging out with the animals and walking with God. It's going to be like that again. I don't know if we'll be naked, but, but it's going to be perfect. We're not going to care if we are or not because it's all going to be made perfect. No more shame, no more guilt. And that's what he's looking forward to. This is the last note. A life worth living is one lived with our eyes on the end. Trusting Jesus because we know everything will be right when he returns. We can trust everything to him. Are you here and, and you're struggling? Maybe you didn't really want to come to church today and somebody drug you along. Or maybe the alarm went off because you had it set for work and it's not a work day and it went off. You're like, oh, now I'm awake. I'll go to church. But life is hitting you. 
life keeps hitting and you hear these things on Sunday that this, there's this great life for us, but you're like, I, I'm not sure. Where do I start? Start at the beginning. Grab, grab your notes there and let me encourage you, start at the beginning. Make it easy. Check your foundation. Is your foundation in Jesus? Just check that. And then move on. Don't stop serving. Are you serving? If you're not, get involved. Again, fill it out. We'll help you find a place to serve. If you've backed out, back back in. <laughs> Jump back in. Get into community. Get in serving. Keep moving down that list. If you're struggling with being bold, walk in. remember that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not who he made you. So there's just something, a thinking there of who you are in Jesus. Do not be ashamed. And then the last one there is be willing to endure hardship for Jesus. Keeping your eyes on the end. But start at the beginning. Don't just walk away going, good sermon. Don't just walk away going, bad sermon. <laughs> walk away going, God, what would you have me do? I want to live this life with you. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I believe he meant it. But it takes us actually following him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that it is the abundant life full of peace, of joy, of purpose, full of hope, knowing that you will not leave us nor forsake us, knowing that you're going to come back and when you do, it's all going to be right. But yet we need you, Holy Spirit. Day in and day out, sometimes this life is really hard. Uh, sometimes living for you is hard and we need you. Help us. Help us to walk your way. Fill us with the desire for you, God. I pray that any spark that is in a heart this morning, that while we close in worship, that you would blow on that spark just a little bit. Flan it into a, a living flame that they cannot resist but worship you, that they cannot resist but follow you. We love you because, God, you are so worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we close in a few more songs of worship, let this be your time to respond. Uh, you can respond up here on either corner. We have spots where you can write down a prayer request, put your name on it, roll it up, stick it in the wall, or just write it straight to God. Don't put your name on it. Roll it up, stick it in that prayer wall, but be active in your worship as God leads you. Uh, we have people in the back who would love to pray with you. If you need to repent of sin, they're not gonna judge you. We've all been there. They'll listen to you. They'll pray for you. If you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, go see one of them. Maybe sit and just meditate. Think about God. Maybe get up and pray or get up and sing. You can put your arms up. You can put them down. Whatever you're comfortable with. But let's respond now in worship.